Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for all who are serving. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit. Use them for your glory, Father. And Father God, we pray that you would keep everyone safe on this campus, that you would give us all open and receptive hearts to receive your word and to receive the work your Holy Spirit decides and wants to do within us and through us. Father, I pray for the gift of teaching. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Title of tonight's message is Deeper than the skin. So a slight change from what I put in the bulletin, but it's deeper than the skin. We're coming from Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, have you ever overlooked a problem where you were trying to resolve? Had some issues trying to resolve it as best as you could, but you're just overlooking it. All because we're looking in the wrong place. For example, some of us have looked around our kitchens or our houses for a certain smell. We, we smell something that, that's just stinky, just have a bad odor, and we're looking everywhere for it. But we're looking only on the surface areas. We even mop the floors. Wash the dishes, take out the trash, but still this odor is there. Trying to resolve a problem, but we're overlooking the solution. But in regard to that stinky smell in our homes, we come to find out that in our refrigerators, there's some refried beans in there that have been in there for a few weeks. Or maybe some broccoli that's been in there that just somehow got pushed to the back. But we missed it, although we looked everywhere else on the surface area. Tonight in our study, we're going to dig deep to learn about a humanity issue that what I say is deeper than the skin or deeper than the surface area. And of course, it's an issue that's overlooked by many people, many experts, many writers, and many celebrities overlook the issue that plagues humanity. And so tonight we're going to have to dig deep into the Word of God and find that deep issue that plagues humanity, issues that have been overlooked, this smelly, it's rotten, we just can't find it, but not only will we dig deep and find this issue that's deeper than the skin, but we're going to learn how that issue can be fixed. And so if you will, let's look at verse 1 of Mark 7, and we're going to see what the Word of God has to say about our topic, and you get to see where we're going tonight with this study. In verse 1, it says, Then 
the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. And so they saw that the disciples were eating with ceremonially unclean hands. For in verse 3, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash according, of course, to their ritual. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and dining couches. And they would use these couches to recline on during their meals. And so we see here that these Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, they come up from Jerusalem and they went up to probably the northern area of Israel, most likely Galilee. And the Pharisees mean separated ones because they live a separated life from uncleanness or perhaps the general public. They were trying to be separate or different from everyone else. And one way, of course, is by keeping these rituals, the rituals of the elders, their traditions. And then, of course, they had the scribes with them. You see them oftentimes together in the Gospels. Now, the scribes were teachers and interpreters of the Mosaic law, the law that God gave to Moses to write down. And so these Pharisees and scribes, these religious leaders, they would accuse Jesus' disciples of eating with their ceremonially unclean hands and It's because they had a certain way that they did it. They had a certain way. And and you can do your research to see exactly how they did it, what their method was. And so, you know, it's not expedient for me tonight to get into that ritual. But there is some research that you can do on your own to see exactly what they did in this ritualistic or ceremonially Um, uh, washing of the hands, ceremonial washing of the hands. You can see that. So there's information online or various books or manners and customs of the Bible. You You can do your research in to see exactly how it was done. But speaking of the tradition of these elders, the first thing I want to focus on is that word tradition because here it means the body of rules especially which in the opinion of the later Jews were orally delivered by Moses and then orally passed on to later generations. That's according to the opinion of the later Jews. And these rules that they would create according to their traditions, they would both illustrate and expand the written law that came from God to Moses to write down. And so, in other words, the tradition was the oral interpretation, the word of mouth interpretation of the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, called the Torah. And the Pharisees and scribes, 
They believed, of course, that the tradition of the elders was to be obeyed with equal reverence as the written scriptures, the word of God. So in summary, what we see there in those first four verses that these Pharisees and scribes, they found fault. They were looking for some type of fault, for something wrong with Jesus. And so they found something in his disciples over the washing of hands, the ceremonial washing of hands. And of course, it was not for the purpose of cleanliness. It wasn't so that, you know, they were being hygienic or doing it just so they wouldn't get dirt in their mouths. But because of tradition, they got on Jesus' disciples, his followers. See, these Pharisees and these scribes thought it would help them to be pure by following rituals or ceremonies like this. They thought it would help them be pure and have a right standing with God. It made them feel as though they were better than everyone else. That everyone else was far away from God and they were closer to God than they were. That is called self-righteousness. And so you see in the scriptures many times where Jesus will be gentle with the sinner, of course, who understood that they were, were sinful, that they were sinners, that they needed mercy and grace. So you will see Jesus being gentle with them, but with the self-righteous, like the Pharisees and scribes, you see, and you'll see in this lesson that, that he will be more harsh. So these guys, these leaders were doing things out of traditions. And the question is, what are some things we do out of tradition thinking that it will help us to have a good standing with God? What are some works, some things we do that we think will help us to get closer to God than other believers or the next man or the next woman? So many of us too have these same types of beliefs or this same way of thinking. And I like what it says in Romans 3.10. In Romans 3.10, it's not changing tonight. But in Romans 3.10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is no person, no human being who's righteous in and of himself or in and of herself. God is the only one who's righteous. True righteousness comes from God. It's called justification. And if you read the letter to the Romans, you'll see that word a lot. You'll see that concept a, a lot. Justification through faith. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3.10. But yet and still the Pharisees thought they were more righteous than everyone else through traditions and ceremonies like the washing of their hands. In verse 5, it says, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. The thought that came to mind is if Jesus thought that it was important enough or if Jesus thought it was a life or death situation, if Jesus thought that this ceremonial washing of the hands will bring his followers closer to God, then Jesus would have told people about it. But he didn't. 
And so one thing we want to do is watch out for people who could be like the Pharisees and the scribes. They will harp on things that the Lord never talked about. They will harp on things that you cannot find in, in one book of the Bible, in one chapter of the Bible. And so they would take things that we would call gray areas that are neither beneficial nor sinful, and they would turn it into a law. They, they would make it into something that they would put on someone else to do. But it's a gray area. It's not in black in the word of God, or it's not in red if you have the red letter edition of the scriptures. And so you want to be careful of those who harp on things that Jesus didn't say. Just like these Pharisees here. God didn't tell them to go through ceremonial washing of the hands just so they can eat and look good. He didn't tell them to do that. But we want to move on to verses 6 through 13 where it says that Jesus answered. And he said to these religious leaders, these Pharisees and scribes, he said, well did Isaiah, speaking of the prophet, prophesy of you hypocrites. There he is. He's being harsh with the self-righteous men who put themselves above other people who had a blown up view of themselves. So Jesus called them hypocrites in, in verse 6. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, verse 7, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So they worship me, but it's worthless, God is saying through Isaiah the prophet. And then they would elevate the commandments of men to scripture, to doctrines that God supposedly had given or approved of. For laying aside in verse 8, the commandment of God, Jesus tells these men, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, and he gives an example, honor or give the proper respect to your father and your mother and he who curses father or mother. He who says cruel things to or speaks disrespectfully of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say in verse 11, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me as Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. And in doing that, Jesus says in verse 13, you make the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. And so this is just but one example that Jesus pointed out. But I want to summarize this concept of traditions. See, first of all, as we see in our scriptures tonight, thus far, traditions are first of all man-made. Traditions are man-made. And because they're man-made, it brings me to the second point about traditions. Because they're man-made, they can be broken or they could be changed. 
But the word of God should not be changed. And the word of God cannot be broken. Another thing we learn about traditions is that they should not be elevated to the level of scriptures, nor should they be placed above scripture. They should not be placed above the word of God, the Bible. However, this brings me to my fourth point about traditions as I do a quick summary of this concept. However, traditions are good if they do not contradict the scriptures, if they do not contradict the word of God or cause us to disobey the word of God. They could be fun. They could be good. For example, every year just about we have a church anniversary picnic. That's a tradition. Now, that's not something that's in the word of God that says that we must do this on a yearly basis. But it's something that we do just for fun. Thanking God for another year that he allow us to meet. Just praising God for that. And so that's one tradition that we would do. How about coffee every Sunday and Wednesday night? Oh, Darrell, don't you touch my coffee. That, that's a tradition. We don't have to have coffee on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights, but it's a, you can think of it as a tradition. And I'm sure many of you appreciate it. And I appreciate the people who make it. But it's not something that if we stop doing that we'll be punished for. It's not going to send us to hell if we stop making coffee on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. So some traditions are good if they don't cause us to disobey the word of God. Or, of course, if it doesn't contradict the word of God, period. But, of course, we see these scribes and Pharisees, they contradicted. That's what they did. They contradicted the word, the scriptures, in order to keep their traditions. And so Jesus, of course, called them hypocrites. And the word hypocrite is translated from a Greek word that means a stage player or an actor. In other words, it refers to a pretender. Jesus was calling them a pretender. Because on the surface, they were acting like, or on the outside, they were looking like they were honoring God, but they were not. They just appeared to be holy on the outside. They appeared to be separate and holy outwardly. They were pretenders, hypocrites that Jesus called them. And Jesus, of course, would give them that, that example of Corban. Something that they did, that they taught others to do in regard to getting around, obeying the word of God when it came to honoring their parents by taking care of their parents as they got older. And so it meant that it was a gift or offering that was set aside for God. But even still, even if they went to their parents and said, Sorry, mom and dad, I know I'm supposed to take care of you, but guess what? This is Corban. Which meant that they weren't going to help their parents financially, help take care of them. So it meant it was dedicated to God. But even still, even with that, there was a loophole in their tradition, so to speak, that 
allowed them to still use their money for their own purposes, for their businesses, or to do whatever they wanted with it, except for give it to the person they said Corban to. And so these Pharisees and scribes, they, they taught people this. They enacted this, causing people to disobey the word of God or contradict the word of God. And they were upset. Yet and still with Jesus, they were except with, upset with his disciples because they didn't obey the tradition of the elders that were passed down from generation to generation, just interpretations of the law that they tried to make fit into every single situation. And in doing so, they were adding to the word of God. They were adding to it. But unfortunately today, there's some people who get upset when, when, when something that was traditionally done is no longer done or is not done as often as they would like. And we see some of this in the church. For example, we, we see people mention things about the music. Now I'm just not talking about this church. I'm talking about just period. Some people want more contemporary. Some people want more hymns. Some, some people would rather have more Southern gospel or choirs or so forth. And so if it's not set up that way, then I'm leaving the church. And you guys are not obeying the word of God. And so the, the thing to remember with music is that, or songs, is that the song is doctrinally sound and it glorifies God. It's not for us, it's for him. But we have to remember that, that these songs, they, they, they express thoughts about God that may be a blessing to some, but not as much with others. Some may like the contemporary songs. Some may like the choirs and the southern gospel. Some may like the hymns more because it expressed their thoughts about God more clearly. We have to remember we're, we're all the body of Christ. We're all a little different. And there's nothing wrong with different forms of, of music or songs as long as it's doctrinally sound and glorifying God. But that's, that's one thing traditionally that some people would get upset about or some would get upset because if they were to walk through this door, we're not in a suit and tie. We're not in dress shoes. How dare that pastor teach in Nike's? How dare that pastor, I don't have a Hawaiian shirt, but how dare that pastor teach in a Hawaiian shirt or a t-shirt? They should be wearing a suit and tie, but I don't see any suit and ties in the scriptures. But what the Bible does teach overall is to dress modestly. And then there's some people who have this tradition, they, they think that if you don't have a big meal on Sunday... Uh, we're breaking some kind of law. Oh, my wife didn't cook. My mom didn't cook on Sunday and have a big meal. There's, there's something wrong. I have to take her to the throne of God and pray for her. But li li listen, it's okay to eat IHOP or Red Robin on a Sunday. For example, hey, my wife works. She doesn't feel like cooking. Fine. She, she deserves a break. You know, she was with our son all the time. We have special needs. 
She deserves a break. So if she doesn't feel like preparing a big meal on Sundays, fine. I'll, I'll eat Red Robin. I won't complain. I like pancakes. I'll go to IHOP. It, it gets the job done. But, but there's little things like that that we, that we put on the level of the word of God. We try to make it seem like, oh, if it's not done, then, then somebody is being disobedient. And so we have to be careful of that Pharisaic heart, the heart of the Pharisees or the scribes. And in verse 14, it says, when, when he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand. I got to teach you something. In other words, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Remember, they were harping on the disciples of the ceremonial washing of the hands. So there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him morally or spiritually. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Matthew 15, 11 says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And if you read in 1 Timothy, I believe it's in chapter 4, it says that, that all food's been sanctified by the word of God in prayer. So if you want to eat shrimp, eat shrimp, pray over it. Eat it with thanks. You want to eat pork? Pray over it. It's, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. And if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Listen. And if you want to flip over to Matthew uh, 15, verses 12 through 14, we can read this cross-reference together. But if not, you can go ahead and jot it down. Matthew 15, verses 12 through 14 says, and, and, and then it adds what's going on here is just filling in the blanks in our lesson tonight. It says, then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. And he's speaking again of the Pharisees and scribes, these self-righteous men. And Jesus says, leave them alone. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, then both will fall into a ditch or a pit. And I like what Jesus does here. Notice what he does at, at the beginning of verse 14. It says that, he called all the multitude to himself. He huddled them together, all this crowd of people. You know, the Pharisees, scribes, they've been spewing off, elevating the traditions of men. And so Jesus drew them to himself and he began to teach them. And I believe this is something that spiritual leaders should do or Christians should do in general. We should correct bad theology. When we hear something on the radio, see it on the TV, go somewhere, and it's bad theology cannot be found in the scriptures. Jesus didn't do it. Jesus didn't teach it. It wasn't done in the book of Acts. Not only that, it's not taught in any of the epistles. That, that's the three criteria, whether or not we do something. For example, we do communion, and when we baptize in water, as Jesus did it. It's found in... Uh, the book of Acts, they did it there. And then it's found in the epistles. And so if we see something that's not found in those areas and people are teaching it as if it's law, as if it were the word of God, but it's really the tradition or thoughts of men, 
Just like Jesus did, we need to correct that bad theology. We need to protect our children from bad theology. We need to protect the young believers from bad theology. And as pastor, pastor is an overseer, overseeing the flock of God. That's one of the responsibilities is to correct bad theology. Because it's not going to help you grow. We want to make sure you're getting things that are biblical, that, that's solid, that, that's going to be good for you spiritually. And so Jesus saw that these people needed to be deprogrammed from the teachings of, this, of these spiritually blind leaders. Because all they're doing is leading other blind people, spiritually blind people into a pit or ditch. So we need to hold on to the teachings of God, which lead us to freedom, which lead us to growth instead of a ditch that's going to confine us. Verses 17 through 23, it says, when Jesus had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So Jesus said to them, were you thus without understanding also? He said, do you not perceive or understand that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? And we want to keep it in context. Remember, he's talking about eating food. And he said, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. See the context? Talking about food. And then it's eliminated. Thus purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, proceed adulteries. So, of course, having an inappropriate relationship with someone who's not your spouse. And it could be an action or it could be a thought. You lust in your heart after another woman or man. Besides the person you're married to, that's considered Adultery, adultery of the heart, then fornications, all these things are coming from within. Evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. Fornications is, is, a broad, is a broad term here, meaning sexual immorality. So anything that fits under the umbrella of sexual immorality is fornication, including gay sex, lesbian sex, sex with animals and with people you're not married to. All of that falls under fornication or sexual immorality. Murders and murder includes hate. Of course, if you read 1 John 3.15, if you hate your brother, you are a murderer. Because murders begin in the heart, begins with hate Thefts, covetousness. In other words, you're greedy. You have a greedy desire to have more. And this wickedness, deceit, lewdness, all these things come from within. Lewdness is unrestrained conduct or promiscuity. Going from one person to another person. Having an evil eye or envy. Want something someone else has. Blasphemy, which is slandering another's good name could do that to a person or even worse to God. All these things come from within, not from food. Pride. Pride, I thought came to me today and the way I could explain pride is self-esteem on steroids. Pride. 
foolishness. That means thought, thoughtlessness or moral recklessness. Jesus, to sum it up, says all these evil things come from within and defile a man. So as we really take in these scriptures we've, we've gone over tonight, it's obvious to see that these religious leaders, these scribes and Pharisees were focusing on the wrong thing. They were looking in the wrong area. They were cleaning the wrong area, just like we do looking for that stinky aroma in the kitchen, cleaning the wrong things, looking in the wrong places. And so these religious leaders were focusing on the wrong thing. They, they were focusing on food and outward observances to determine whether they or someone else was morally or spiritually clean or defiled. Of course, Jesus declares that it's what comes out of a person's heart. It's what makes a person spiritually unclean. Jesus is clear about that in our study tonight. And the Bible, by the way, uses this word heart mainly to refer to that ruling center of the whole person. It is the spiritual center of life. It's the core of who we are. That's the heart that is being referred to. And it's where the desires, our sense of purpose, our thoughts our will and understanding. It's where our character reside or sit in the heart. It can refer to the inner man. It can refer to the mental center where our thoughts come from and, or the emotional center. Of course, the moral center of human beings. That's the heart, the core of who we are. And according to one source, character, personality, and mind are appropriate modern terms for the Bible's meaning of heart. But I like to just keep it simple real quick and just say it's the core of who we are. The very core of our being. The heart, the spiritual heart. But now, speaking of the physical heart, there's some symptoms that could give us some hints that there's something wrong. There's some physical symptoms or symptoms on the outside that could give us some tips that there may be some heart disease within us. Now, I did some research and it says that some of those symptoms could include a swelling in the feet and lower legs. Everybody's going to start looking down. Don't, don't look down. Don't. Some of it could be nails that curve downward and the ends of the fingers become swollen. Another symptom of possible heart disease. Again, we're talking about the physical heart at this point. It could be a symptom of red or purple lines under your nails or painful lumps in your fingers, toes, or both. And of course, there's more symptoms, but we don't have time to go over the whole list. But the question I want to throw out there is, what if people who had these symptoms only focus on the symptoms? You see the symptoms there, but that's all you focused on, on what you can see. 
You only focus on the symptoms. You only treated those things. And I just want to submit to you that, that today there's many things in this world, in our society, in our homes, in our family members, even within us that don't get resolved because we only treat the symptoms. We put a band-aid on things that are more of a deeper issue. In other words, we become Pharisaic and we just wash the outside of the problem. And so things don't get resolved. We complain about our society. We complain about our community. We complain about our country. Folks who have different political views and non-biblical views, ungodly views. But we come up with solutions that just wash the outside. We try to beat them into submission through intellectual arguments, treating the symptom. We try to create more rules or laws. We try to defund organizations. We think that's going to solve issues. We try to embarrass people to death or we try to create even more consequences for folks. Some of us use the band-aid of putting hope in politicians. We try to wash the outside of the problem with some of these examples I just shared with you. But of course, this does not get to the real issue. It's just focusing only on the symptom where the issue is deeper than the skin. And the reason, by the way, dirty stuff comes out of people. The, the reason why dirty stuff came out of us is because the human heart is dirty. As Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, he says that the heart is deceitful above what? Above all things. And it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? In other words, desperately wicked, speaking of the heart as being incurable. Who can know the heart? And our heart is desperately wicked. It is incurable. Because the core of our being is affected by sin. It happened in the fall of man. And therefore the works of the flesh are evident. All those things that Jesus named that come from within. The evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. The works of the flesh, they're evident because the heart is dirty. It's deceitful. We don't even know our own hearts. So I will not dare tell anyone in here to follow your heart. No, you follow the Holy Spirit. I would even add racism or rioting or being destructive to the works of the flesh. The heart is deceitful. Above all things and is desperately wicked, is incurable. Who can know it? Of course, that's a rhetorical question because we know that God knows the heart. He searches the heart. He tests the minds, the scriptures tell us. Which means that the heart, the very core of our being, of our spiritual life, of our moral center, is something that only God can fix. Jeremiah 2.22 says, and, and this is the Lord speaking to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. It says, for though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, Pharisees scribe, though you use those things, 
Your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. You do these things on the outside, but I still see the lawlessness, the sin that is within your life. The Lord is saying. In Psalms 51.10, the mighty King David had it correct. He was on to something as he repented for his sin with Bathsheba. Committing adultery and fornication. And then having her husband killed, he repented and he was on to something. He wasn't just keeping it on the surface or the skin level like the Pharisees and scribes were. No, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast, renew a loyal spirit within me. Now, like another scripture in the New Testament, Acts 15, verses 8 and 9. Now, in context, this is that great apostle Peter who is sharing with the church leaders in Jerusalem about the Gentiles. He says, so God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He was preaching, and before he finished, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. They began to speak in tongues. And he said, God, who knows the heart, acknowledged these Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And this is where I want to focus on. Verse 9, and he made no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, purifying, cleaning their hearts by faith. You see, faith allows God to sanctify or cleanse us with the word of God. Remember what Jesus said in his prayer in John chapter 17? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? Truth. And so when we have faith in the Jesus that the gospel is about, we we open up the door for, for God to cleanse us with the word of God. The water of the word. And as a result of this cleansing, we're forgiven of our sins. And we now have a true right standing with God. The Pharisees and the scribes didn't. Those religious leaders did not have a right standing with God. It was only outwardly. They were self-righteous, but true righteousness comes from God. True righteousness is imputed to us by faith. That is called justification. You are declared righteous. It's a once and for all thing that happens in the lives of all believers. That means you're not guilty. Your sins forgiven. You're not condemned. You're not going to hell. That's the starting point for all believers. We're all justified. As believers, and now we're going through the process of sanctification, being conformed into the image of Christ. That's the process we're going through right now. But this cleansing that is talked about here in these scriptures is talking about being forgiven of sins and now having a right standing with God. You're in fellowship with God. But get this, not only does the Bible, the word of God, talk about God cleansing us of our sins, but he also gives us a new heart. And I like what it said in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. Now, this is God now in context, speaking to the house of Israel through the prophet. But guess what? We receive the benefit of this in the New Testament. He says that, 
I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. In other words, I'll forgive you of your sins. I'll put you back in the right relationship with me. You'll be back in fellowship with me. And he says, I will give you a new heart. See, not only just cleanse us, forgives us us of our sins, but now he goes even further and he gives us a new heart and he put a, a new spirit within us. And he says, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The worship team comes up. It's very important that he will remove that heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. You see, God requires us to love him with our whole being. He requires us to love our neighbor. We don't need a an entire list of rules or laws. Now, Jesus was asked, it's the most important commandment, just to sum it up, love the Lord your God with everything within you from the very core of your being, every part of you, and love your neighbor. That's what he requires. You see, if we love, we won't break any of God's laws. See, if we love, it'll, it'll lead to true obedience and the right treatment of others. Not just an outward thing, not just a skin level thing, a surface area type of deal. No, this would be true obedience if we love God with all that is within us and love our neighbors as ourselves. But here's the kicker. That can only happen with a, with a new heart. That can only happen with a new nature, a new nature that comes from God. You see, our old nature, that old us, the the sin nature that comes from Adam, passed down from Adam. And so we have a proclivity or inclination to sin. But no, when we're born again, we receive a new heart, a new nature that loves God, that desires to do the will of God. And so praise the Lord that not only are we cleansed, but also he takes it even further and he gives us a new heart, a new nature so that we can love him the way he wants us to, so that we can love our neighbor the way he wants us to, so we can love our wives, our husbands and children and neighbors even politicians, the way he wants us to. We can love our enemies the way he wants us to. That takes a new nature. That takes a new heart. My question is, have, have we been focusing on the outward to gain acceptance with God? Is there anybody who's in that position, maybe in here online, maybe you've been following traditions and making up your own rules and making those gray areas into law in order to gain acceptance with God? Or to be more holy than someone else. To be more spiritual than someone else. Maybe that's you. Have you been focusing on the outward? Have you been trying to just treat the symptoms? Have you been keeping it just on the skin level? Or how about this? Those of us who have a heart to see certain people saved in our family. Because it's a good thing. It's the right thing to want to see people in heaven. There's plenty of room. Don't be selfish, right? So that's a good thing. 
But have we just been telling people to just do this? Do this good work. Stop doing this. Stop being that way. Have we just been saying that? Or have we been sharing the gospel with them? Because that's the only way they're going to be transformed. That's the only way them or any of us as humans are going to receive a new heart, a new attitude, new desires from the very core of our being. Or if we receive that, that message and that gospel, that powerful gospel. And so tonight, if we want to see real change in our society, in our country, things are going haywire. We want to see real change in the people's lives who are so close to us, who are near and dear to us. We want to see real change and what's going to have to happen. And we have to get this and not just complain about them, not just tell them some do's and don'ts, but what's going to have to happen is God will need to do surgery. God will need to replace hearts. That's what needs to happen. They're literally... Spiritually, going to have to become a new creation. And I'll leave you with this verse. And I'll read that verse. And as I read that verse, I'll I'll finish with the voice of God because this this is his voice. This is his message. So I'll read it and I'll leave that in your minds. It says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for that, that new heart that you've given to us. And Lord, we have some things that need to be worked on even still as believers. Continue, Lord, to clean us up. We pray, Father, that if we sin today, we pray that you forgive us. Continue, Lord. That process of helping us to be more like Jesus. We pray, Father, for for anyone who may be watching online or in this room or who'll be listening to the audio or watching the video some somewhere down the line. We we pray for them, Lord. They're not saved, that you remove the spiritual blinders and draw them to Jesus. Jesus, it's the most important decision that anybody will ever make in their lives. And we're so grateful that, Father, you sent your only begotten son to die for our sins, to make it possible for us to receive a new nature, to become that new creation. So that finally, Lord, Finally, after years of tears and frustrations, finally with that new nature, that new heart. And of course, the power of your spirit will be able to obey you. Teach us, oh God, to do your will. Help us to love you and love others the way you want us to, oh Father. And if anybody needs prayer tonight, I'll I'll be here at the 
front of the podium floor level, willing and ready to pray with you. I just want to let you all know, of course, as always, we love you and we appreciate you and all you do. Appreciate all your prayers. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to to come and be with the rest of the body of Christ. And those of you who joined us online, thank you so much as well for you joining us and worshiping the Lord with us. So my prayer is that the Lord will use you this week in a mighty way. My prayer, and like I prayed during this one service when we talked about compassion, that the Lord will put somebody in your path that you would have an opportunity to have compassion on. I'm going to do another bold prayer tonight and pray that the Lord will put somebody in our way that he will open up a door for us to speak with at least one person about Jesus. And pray for that person that the Lord will till the soil of their heart so that when you meet that person, all that word will sink in. And pray that the Lord will shoo the enemy away who wants to take away whatever seed that has been or will be planted. So, Father, that's our bold prayer tonight, that you will put someone in our path that we can share the gospel with so they, too, can become that new creation as they receive Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.